This is the Best Run Podcast. Brought to you by SAP. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's edition of the Best Run Podcast. Today, we've got two special guests, and we're going to be talking about capitalising on curiosity. Now, what is this topic of capitalising on curiosity? We'll get into that in a minute with Des, but really, it's based on some research that SAP has done. And we've worked with Amantha on this research. So let me just introduce you to Amantha now. Amantha Imba is our organizational psychologist and founder and chief maker at Inventium. And Amantha is actually named one of the Australian Financial Review's 100 Women of Influence, which is amazing, Amantha. And in 2021, Amantha won the Thinker 50 Innovation Award, which is also another great recognition. And we also have with us Des Fisher. So Des is innovation principal, but we just like to refer to him as all things innovation at SAP, joining us today. So I'd like to get each of you to introduce yourselves. So Amantha, would you just give us a little bit of a background about yourself, please? Sure. So I'm an organisational psychologist, and I guess psychology is very core to who I am. I read academic papers for fun and I also host a podcast called How I Work. So I feel like I'm quite a naturally curious person. Um, always feel like I'm asking questions. So it's kind of novel for me being on the receiving end of questions. Great. Thank you. Des. Thanks, Rashenka. Hi, Amantha. Good to see you again. And thanks, Rashenka, for that amazing introduction. Uh, Des Fisher here. So I'm working in uh, the innovation part of, of SAP and across 26 different industries, there's a lot of scope for uh, doing things differently, doing things better and you know, uplifting sort of society, improving economies and improving the way that, that people work. So typically I'll be involved with our partner ecosystem in working on ways that we can improve the way that businesses run and operate. And Des, can you just give us a little bit more uh, background around the capitalising on curiosity research? So the definition of curiosity and then how we work with Amantha. Yeah, curiosity is an interesting word, isn't it? And for, I guess for the purposes of the research, we, we've sort of defined a culture of curiosity as an organisational culture where employees uh, get encouraged um, and are enabled to sort of ask questions and, and seek answers to help those organisations run better, as I just alluded to, and to meet the needs of their customers, their employees and the community. We've been, I think we've been involved for a long time in, or in interested in how we innovate and, and how the business runs. And we're sort of quite conscious of the Australian New Zealand situation around talent and retention of talent and making sure that people are engaged and that we're getting the, the best out of people in you know, what's been pretty recently a, a challenging environment in, in towards a, a hybrid working situation and um, and sort of, you know, the idea of, of no offices at all as well. So we've, we've had to go out and, and make sure that our focus on something like curiosity has some research behind it to make it more legitimate, make sure that our hypothesis has been satisfied. So we've done that and we've tried to understand how organisation can foster curious cultures. And Mantha's done tons of work on this, and that's why we've partnered with Amantha to, to help us guide or to guide SAP and to make sure that the advice that we're giving the organisations that we call our customers, but also our employees, is the right advice. So Amantha's very authoritative on the matter. So the partnering with Amantha has been great, and the research has been good because I think it has confirmed a little bit around the hypothesis of, of curiosity and just... To bring that into perspective, I guess that there's a there's a few sound bites here. For instance, nine in ten 
senior business leaders across Australia and New Zealand believe that a more curious culture would better equip their organisation to tackle challenges. So that's a, an overwhelming response uh, to that question. And then you can think about the effect of that and the effect of curiosity in terms of things like growth, right, and, um, and how organisations move forward. So interestingly, the, the leaders who strongly agreed that their organisation has a curious culture ended up reporting sort of growth and annual turnover of more than sort of 20, 20 and a half percent on average over the last 12 months, which is actually more than three times that of those who only somewhat agreed that curiosity was important and that a, a culture of curiosity was important to their organisation. So I think that, that sort of definitely proves the hypothesis and uh, is a strong reason for, uh, for working with Anantha to, to now go and, and start helping organisations understand what they can do in that space. Yeah, thanks, Des. And Amantha, obviously you work with large numbers of, of organisations and so you're seeing the breadth of curiosity in its different forms. Why do you think cultivating that curiosity is so important in the workplace? Well, I think it's critical for creating a company that, you know, where innovation really thrives and where creativity thrives. I don't think there are too many business leaders that would say, mm, yeah, we don't really need to innovate. It's not essential. And it's really hard to create an innovative organization if you're not embracing curiosity and people asking questions and running experiments. I mean, these are things that are absolutely fundamental to creating an innovative organization. Yeah, and, and I think with, the, um, with COVID, lots of things have changed in the workplace. How are you seeing the importance of curiosity come more to the fore as a result of, uh, I won't say it's post-COVID world, but you know, an emerging post-COVID world at this stage? Yeah, look, I mean, they say that, uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, I think is the phrase. And, uh, you know, I think that there's never been a more important time to be curious or get curious because the world has changed so much from two years ago. And if you're still doing things in exactly the same way and still thinking that your customers have the same problems and frustrations and not getting curious about that, then you will absolutely get left behind. You know, I really do think that uh, like if you're not getting curious as an organisation and as people working within organisations now, it's going to be too late soon. Yeah, and I, and I guess with, with COVID, uh, employee wellbeing in particular came uh, to the forefront and that employee wellbeing piece, how much is curiosity impacting that? I would say a lot. Uh, I think it's very hard to be curious when you're working 10, 12 hour days. You know, a lot of the clients that we work with at Inventium are spending their days in Zoom meetings and it's only at nighttime that they can get their, you know, quote unquote, real work done. And where are you going to find time to be curious and ask questions if your day is jam packed like that and you're feeling exhausted? by the end of it. Um, so I think it's really important uh, that organisations actually think about well-being and how sustainable are people's workloads and ways of working so that they do have that time and space to be curious. Because certainly the research done by SAP, I think it suggested that about 80% of employees across Australia and New Zealand feel that there are significant barriers in the way in their organisation to driving curiosity. I might even ask you um, for a few pointers on some of that, Amantha, because the, the supporting data underneath that 
that 80% that you just mentioned goes a little bit to reward. And I think there was a similar number of people, you know, while we talked about leaders and, and we didn't really touch on employees, but everybody agrees that curiosity is important and it's, it's a business driver. But I think a lot of people don't feel like they're rewarded for their curiosity. And you just mentioned that time is a factor in that. What, what do you think is preventing curiosity ending up in action, that organisations taking action about curiosity, harnessing curiosity, and what? how come it's there, there are so many barriers to that? Well, I think it's interesting because according to the research, the majority, the vast majority of business leaders see curiosity as really important to the success of their organisation, yet there are still barriers in the way and you know, it would appear that it's not necessarily being made a priority, despite the fact that the research suggests that those that are making curiosity a priority are having um, more successful organisations from an employee satisfaction point of view and, you know, even financially better organisations. So what is going on there? You know, I think that a big barrier that we see in organisations that, that we are working with to help them become more innovative is time like time is a finite resource and you know i think sure like we can focus on things which are definitely important like helping um organizations embrace failure and not see failure as a dirty word i feel like that is well-trodden advice that everyone knows easier said than done but i actually think that helping people use their time more wisely is really really important and perhaps and not necessarily intuitive solution to driving curiosity. Certainly when we work with organizations around innovation, we found that, you know, we could teach them the best innovation skills in the world of, you know, how to identify customer opportunities, how to think more creatively and more curiously and how to run experiments. But the reality was they didn't actually have time to implement those things. So, you know, I think a really important takeout for leaders is think about how can you help your staff actually use their time better? and work more productively. That might mean, you know, reducing meetings, doing things asynchronously rather than synchronously. So, you know, not using meetings for things like updates or information sharing, which is sadly, from what I've read, the most common use of meetings. So I think giving people more time will definitely breed curiosity. So Amanda, just listening to you there, I took three things away there. So make curiosity a focus. Make sure that you're allowing for your employees to have time and to uh, make failure an option. Is there anything else that I missed that you wanted to emphasise? Look, there's a lot. You know, certainly giving people autonomy is really important. Uh, I think we've all had managers that are micromanagers and give us absolutely no freedom to decide how we choose to do our jobs or the tasks that are required of us. Micromanagement is a really great way to kill curiosity, but uh, the converse is true. We're giving people autonomy and freedom is a great way to breed curiosity. So for leaders, asking yourself, how much autonomy and freedom do I give my team? And for, for, for people working within organizations, asking yourself that question, how much autonomy do you think that you have in your role? Do you have a choice as to how you do certain things and how you work? And if you don't, perhaps it's time to have a conversation with your manager about how you can build in more autonomy to what you do, because with autonomy comes curiosity. If we are simply told what to do, why on earth would we be curious? 
Yeah, perfect. So I, I took a couple of things out of that too, Amanda. If I cast my mind back to when we first met, one of the things really resonated with me um, that you've been talking about for a long time is the idea that ideas are good breeding ground potentially for innovation, but frustrations even better, dealing with people's frustrations and overcoming those in a positive way gets you to a place where there is absolute improvement to be made through that frustration, right? The fact that frustration's there means that there's something to fix, right? And an idea doesn't necessarily mean that because an idea might take some persuasion or some selling to, to sort of make it a reality. So um, that really resonated with me. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that you need to create space for things like curiosity to flourish and for innovation to flourish. And, and people are probably frustrated about that, about that, the fact that they don't have the time nor the, nor the space to sort of explore their their curiosity. So we, I mean, one way in which we, we've thought about addressing that, we have something called the SAP App House Network. And, and what it does is it sort of leverages human-centered design concepts to take what it is a front door for a frustration to walk in and leave as an innovation, right? And, and we're, we're really trying to create actually time and, and space for exploring frustrations and, and leaving us with, innovative solutions to those frustrations to, to overcome those. Have, have you got advice for us and, and our customers in that space? I remember many years ago, I was speaking to the, the global VP of innovation for the Coca-Cola company. And he said to me, uh, which at the time I thought, oh gosh, that's, that's quite counterintuitive. Don't fall in love with your ideas, fall in love with the problems that you're trying to solve. And I think that that is such great advice for promoting a culture of curiosity. Like too often our natural instinct is that we'll have this aha moment and we'll come up with this idea and ideas are exciting and they're sparkly and they're sexy. Um, But the problem with falling in love with your ideas is that when it comes to testing those ideas, it's like you're wearing blinkers and you're not seeing anything that's wrong with it and you're not like noticing how it might not actually be adding value to customers' lives. So instead, fall in love with the problems that you're trying to solve or the frustrations that your customers or consumers or your clients have. Because if you can fall in love with those and then be really open to all sorts of ideas and just get loosely attached to those ideas, then you're far more likely to be curious and you'll be far better placed when it comes to experimenting with those ideas and truly taking on board how customers are reacting to those ideas. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's good advice. Now, underneath all of that, the entire concept, I suppose, is evidence, right? And we talked about the the research has been good because it's given us some pointers as to what people do find important about curiosity and has led us to the discussion today around how do we get from knowing that curiosity is really important to harnessing that and to turning it into good how do you feel about data underneath all of that? I mean, the, the, the research gave us a good few things to talk about, but organisations are just awash and industries are just awash with data. And we've created, us in technology have created that, right, by technologicifying everything. I know that's not a word, but I just thought I'd go for that. And so now we're awash with all this data. How do we reconcile that? Like, what is it, what is, do you think the best way to harness I suppose, A, the curiosity, but B, this this latent sort of possible empirical evidence and support for the, the problems that we're trying to solve. I think data 
in and of itself, like if it's not used well, is kind of a little bit useless. So, you know, I think this is another example where curiosity is important because data is only as good as the questions that you're asking of it. So I think that there's a really strong link there. And if we can ask better questions of the data that we've got, then that's where we're going to get the most powerful insights that we can act upon. Yeah. And, and I think most people are talking about making fairly significant investments in, you might call it sort of self-service or the ability to interrogate the data, like you've just said, Amanda, like how do you as an individual or as a group of people or as a task force or as a cohort make sense of all of that kind of stuff by asking it the right questions? What advice would you have for organisations that are on that spend curve around, you know, helping their, their employees, let's start there, get better access to the data in order to maybe start asking some of those better questions? What advice would you have for them? Look, I think that the, the other side of data is looking at how do you actually tell a story around the data? I think that a lot of people working with data or where that is a critical part of their role, they might understand the data themselves, but it's hard for other people sometimes to understand, you know, how important, you know, or what, like what the data is actually saying. So I think that the ability to craft stories out of that data and present it in a way that is engaging is the yeah. other side of the battle. Like not only asking the right questions of the data and getting curious about it so that you can uncover useful and actionable insights, but also thinking about how, how do you take that out the other end once mm. you've, you know, presumably used the data effectively how do you actually let the data um, have the biggest chance of having an impact on people's behaviour and your organisation's strategy? Yeah, so emerging at the end of all of the questioning with a narrative is important. And but have you seen good practice in terms of training for that? I assume most employees don't just turn up to these tools and say, well, I know exactly what to do to produce a narrative from this with greater wash of, of data. Um, what does good look like in terms of, uh, I guess, training and support and, and nudging and things like that for employees to get better at making that narrative? Yeah, look, I think that there's a lot of good training out there on, you know, how to tell stories and also how to get better at visualizing what the data is telling us. Again, I don't think this is a skill that most of us have inbuilt. So it absolutely is critical that organizations do invest in training people how to get the most out of data and how to communicate that data. Um, yeah. You know, with, without that, data is not that helpful. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I just want to go back to that subject of reward that we covered a little bit earlier too. I don't think that organisations, it's, it's not that sort of Pavlovian kind of reward, right, that we're looking for here. And I don't think it's all about patting people on the back when they demonstrate curiosity. And so maybe part of the reward is like a self-reward when you, you for the first time discover that actually you have the tools at your disposal to create a business narrative that changes the way that your organisation works. I mean... I feel like that would be extremely rewarding at a, at a personal level and a team level. Have you seen what good looks like in that space? Like have you worked with teams where they've sort of come out of that feeling really energised and, and good about how to use that in the future? Oh, definitely. So there are, broadly speaking, two types of motivation that we can tap into when we're trying to motivate people to do things at work or in life. There's extrinsic motivators, which are things that are external to us, like it might be a promotion or a pay rise or, you know, like a cash reward or something like that. And then there's intrinsic motivators. So these are things that are more deep and internal to us, like feeling a sense of challenge um, or feeling a sense of 
progress on something that matters or feeling a sense of pride after we've accomplished something. And we know from research that intrinsic motivation is far more enduring and powerful than extrinsic motivators, yet a lot of leaders default to extrinsic motivation because it's the easier thing to control. You know, it's easy to give out a cash reward. It's relatively mm. easy to give people pay rises or bonuses, you know, if your company is doing well financially. But leaders would be far better placed to tap into intrinsic motivators. So, for example, making sure that everyone feels a good sense of challenge in what they do and that there's the opportunity for mastery. You know, that mastery might be related to how to use data smarter, um, you know, and how to, you know, make it more impactful within your organization, or it might be mastering something else entirely. But this, you know, also relates to curiosity, like don't give people a cash reward for asking more questions, because as soon as you take away the cash reward, the curiosity will dissipate. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you can link curiosity to intrinsic motivation you're going to be far more effective at creating that culture of curiosity. Yeah. So if, could, do you think it's a reasonable sort of quid pro quo for management to say, we will create the time and space for you to be curious and we'll make a commitment to that. And correspondingly, we might start to think about memorandums of understanding or KPIs that talk to curiosity where we want to see some evidence, we want to manage, we, we want to measure rather that and manage the creative outputs because we know that it's going to make you feel better and it's going to make you feel more engaged. Is that something you've seen as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that there's definitely staff perception measures, like feeling like curiosity is encouraged and embraced, for example. But then there's also more harder metrics. Like we've certainly had a lot of our clients measure how many experiments are they running every year, for example, which is a really like that's pretty hard data on, you know, curiosity in action, if you like, running experiments on ideas and testing hypotheses, for example. And, and certainly the more experiments you're running, the more successful you're going to be with regards to, to innovation and business performance. And also not just, you know, um, over-resourcing things that potentially you should have just run some yeah. quick and dirty experiments on and killed. Understood. So um, I, I hope we have time left for this, but I'm really curious as to if there's some sort of maturity curve in operationalizing curiosity. And you mentioned experimentation. Is that like, where do people start? Would experimentation be a really good way to dip your toe in the water and create that space and the time to explore the curiosity? Is that sort of, or is that further up the maturity scale? Where do you see that? Uh, look, I think that it can actually be a really good place to start. I think before that, when it comes to innovation, you know, again, like I see curiosity and innovation as very closely linked is that like you need an organization wide approach for innovation. Like what does that process look like from identifying, you know, customer needs and frustrations through to generating solutions through to running experiments and then, you know, iterating and, and taking things to market, but certainly skill building around experimentation. It's a really common um, area that Inventium, my consultancy, gets brought in to, to train groups in that are sort of more at the beginning of their journey when it comes to curiosity and innovation. And it's a, it's a way where you can see really quick returns. Like if your company right now 
you know, someone has an idea and they put together a business case and, you know, we all know like, you know, the, the steeper the, the gradient in the business case, the more money you can ask for. But, you know, really it's just based on a bunch of assumptions and someone sitting at a desk and not even talking to customers. So investing money just on the basis of a business case is an enormous risk for companies. But instead, if you can teach people to run quick and dirty experiments, like for a few hundred dollars and over the course of a day or two and learn real things about that idea that they're asking for funding in an iterate off the back of those experiments. I mean, that's a great way to save a lot of money and have more success with the ideas yeah. that you're wanting to put out there. And we can still we can still use the data that we talked about. We can still develop a business narrative, even in, a, in an experimental sort of way or a quick and dirty way that you alluded to that's sort of low cost and, and low risk. So yeah, I guess that, that brings us back to the start is, you know, the, the idea is in order to get people's curiosity, A, rewarded and B, into play in the organization got to create time and space and experimentation and method around innovation is one way to bring that to the fore. that training people as muscle memory not as a sort of reward based yeah type of scheme yeah perfect Definitely. thanks Samantha that's really cool yeah I think that's a good point Des that um, you know we've got all these intrinsic and extrinsic motivators but the employee really has to have that inbuilt to, to be able to grab hold of it with both hands and, and to run with it, right? So I wanted to thank you both for your time. Was there anything else that you wanted to leave uh, as a close, Samantha or Des? Thanks, Samantha, for the fascinating conversation. It's great. <laughs> My pleasure. My pleasure. All right. Well, thank you both. Thanks all of you for listening. And you've been listening to the Best Run podcast. And I hope you'll join us again next time. You've been listening to the Best Run podcast. Brought to you by SAP.